Hello, and welcome to LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors of book in every genre. I'm Lenny Picker, a writer at Publishers Weekly, and today I'm speaking with John Whitehead, the author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People. It's published by Select Books, the sponsor of today's podcast. Hello, John. Hello, how are you doing? Okay. Would you begin by just reading us an excerpt from the book? I'd be glad to. Relationships are fragile things, none more so than the relationship between a citizenry and their government. Unfortunately for the American people, the contract entered into more than 200 years ago, the U.S. Constitution, has been reduced to little more than a marriage of convenience and fiscal duty marked by distrust, lying, infidelity, hostility, disillusionment, paranoia, and domestic abuse. Adding insult to injury, these abuses are being perpetuated by the very government officials entrusted with ensuring the citizens' freedom and safety. Don't believe me? Just take a stroll through your city's downtown. Spend an afternoon in your local mall. Get in your car and drive to your parents' house. Catch the next flight to that business conference. While you're doing so, pay careful attention to how you and your fellow citizens are treated by government officials, the ones whose salaries you are paying. You might walk past a police officer outfitted in tactical gear holding an assault rifle or drive past a police cruiser scanning license plates. There might be a surveillance camera on the street corner tracking your movements. At the airport, you may be put through your paces by government agents who will want to either pat you down or run scans of your body. And each time you make a call or send a text message, your communications will most likely be logged and stored in a government file. When you return home, you might find that government agents have been aggressively questioning your neighbors about you as part of a census questionnaire. After you retire to sleep, you might find yourself awakened by a SWAT team crashing through your door. You'll later discover that they were at the wrong address. And if you make the mistake of reaching for your eyeglasses, you might find yourself shot by a cop who felt threatened. Is this the behavior of a government that respects you? One that looks upon you as having inviolate rights? One that regards you as its employer, its master, its purpose for being? I don't think so. While this transformation of government into a hyper-militarized, twitchy, easily offended, suspicious, locked-down, paranoid, all-seeing bureaucracy is being sold to the public as an unavoidable means of preventing terrorism and maintaining national security, it's a little more than a wolf in sheep's clothing. In fact, What we are dealing with is a police state guised as a benevolent democracy, a runaway government hyped up on its own power and afraid of its citizenry, whose policies are dictated more by paranoia, power, and control than need. When one considers the growing list of opinions and activities which make a federal agent or a local police officer think you are a terrorist or sympathetic to terrorist activities, that is, advocating states' rights, believing the state to be unnecessary or undesirable, conspiracy theorizing, concern about alleged FEMA camps, opposition to war, organizing for economic justice, frustration with mainstream ideologies, opposition to globalization, and ironically, ammunition stockpiling, the picture becomes that much more alarming. By the time you throw into the mix a variety of military police training exercises which are occurring across the country, ostensibly to train first responders to deal with emergency situations and social unrest, but overtly targeting American citizens, then it becomes that much harder to answer no when asked to consider whether we, the people, have become the enemies of our own government. Why is this happening? When did we as a nation take such a wrong turn onto such treacherous terrain? 
Who or what is responsible for our steady slide into tyranny? Where do we go from here? And what, if anything, can we do about it? Here's the problem as I see it. We, the people, have become so trusting, so gullible, so easily distracted, so out of touch, and so sure that our government will always do the right thing by us that we have ignored the warning signs all around us. In doing so, we have failed to recognize them as potential red flags and use them as opportunities to ask questions, demand answers, and hold our government officials accountable to respecting our rights and abiding by the rule of law. Unfortunately, once a free people allows the government to make inroads into their freedoms or uses those same freedoms as bargaining chips for security, it quickly becomes a slippery slope to outright tyranny. And it doesn't really matter whether it's a Democrat or a Republican at the helm, because the bureaucratic mindset on both sides of the aisle now seem to embody the same philosophy of authoritarian government. Thank you, John. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your background and your experiences. I know that you've worked both as an attorney and you served in the military, and to the extent to which those helped to shape your view of our current situation. Yeah, I've been a, a constitutional lawyer for almost 40 years. I have defended many clients across the country, mainly free speech or Fourth Amendment activities, where people have either been unreasonably searched and seizured by police or government agents, people who have been arrested for protesting against government. I mean, legally so. We've actually won the cases. My Army experience, by the way, I was an infantry officer. I was trained in war. And uh, while I was in the Army, I, be I became concerned about some of the things I was seeing in the Army. And uh, it really moved me toward being a civil liberties advocate. Uh, I saw some people returning from places like Vietnam at the time, and that was when I was in the Army, who were totally uh, messed up mentally, having problems. And I saw that the way the war and the way we were handling our veterans was not a good job. We're not doing a good job of it. In fact, we help veterans across the country who are just trying to get simple aid from the Veterans Administration. They're turned away. And we actually have wives of veterans who contact us and say their, the, their husbands as veterans can't get care. So we we involved in those areas and also veterans who engage in free speech activities. So I've been involved in every bit of civil liberties activity from opposing the death penalty to defending free speech protesters to defending people who are sometimes slammed face down on the sidewalk for free speech activities. In your book, and I apologize if this isn't an exact quote, but there's a description of the American people as being asleep at the wheel. And if that's either an accurate quote or a close enough paraphrase, how long would you say that characterization, asleep at the wheel, has been an accurate one? It's been an accurate one, I would say, for probably the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, one reason, and I point this out in my book, uh, Battlefield America, I have a section on TV and all the uh, the devices that we watch. The, some uh, social scientists are now estimating that the average American may spend up to 10 hours a day on screen devices. And what I say to people is, that's fine, uh, but uh, if you're not going to be very active if you're sitting and watching all the time or you're walking along like a zombie, walk crossing streets, and I see people doing that. In fact, there are some psychologists who say that. Uh, because of all the set, the time that we're watching screens now, our brain does not is not activated. In other words, we kind of go to sleep. We're not we're being easily uh, led along a path because we're always hooked up to some uh, device. And as I point out in the book, the all, everything that we watch or see on, either on television, our laptops, whatever, is controlled by six huge mega corporations. That lends support to the fact that 
uh, we're not getting what I would say is a, a, a total view of life. Uh, many of the independent uh, circuits and channel and cable people are going out of business. And I think with some of the new movements by the federal government, we're going to get more corporate control. And that really concerns me because we're going to get more of a one point of view. But what I'm asking Americans to do is uh, one third of the time that you're watching an electronic device, turn it off and get active. You quote two people uh, before the table of contents. You quote George Orwell, who, of course, many people are familiar with, and Neil Postman, who, unfortunately, from my perspective, is less well known. Uh, Neil Postman wrote long before the Internet and long before technology is as pervasive as it is now. I'm wondering if you're really tying the sort of dramatic shift in American passivity to technology or whether there's some other factor. Well, I, I would think the main uh, concern we have to have is technology. And Bill Postman did write about technology. And there was a good book he wrote called Amusing Ourselves to Death. His argument was that... Uh, uh, George Orwell's uh, vision of the future, which I talk about in the book pretty clearly, and I've really studied Orwell's life, by the way. I've read all of his biographies. Orwell thought that we were moving into sort of like a neo-Nazi future where there was going to be stormtroopers and you're, you're go you were going to get your head kicked in and all that. In fact, he said, if you want to picture the future, this was an exact quote from Orwell, imagine a stamping boot on a human face forever. What Neil Postman argued was is that that's basically the transition phase into a totalitarian state. Uh, and I'll, I will be honest with you, I'm seeing that today with uh, SWAT team raids, all the, the stuff that we're seeing on the news with people getting their heads smashed, killed, unarmed citizens getting shot. And that's, that's an alarming development. And by the way, both the left and the right are concerned about these issues. So basically what uh, Neil Postman argued was is that uh, what we're seeing with all, what we'll eventually see with all the violence is the transition stage. Aldous Huxley argued it, by the way. He was a big fan of Aldous Huxley that we'd be moving into a totalitarian government. And I think that we really saw that with Edward Snowden's revelations that the NSA is downloading virtually everything we do, and they are, by the way. And also local police have what they call stingray devices, which they drive by your home and download all your cell phone information. Uh, they have now Doppler radar devices where they can actually go by and see if you're in your home, scanning devices. And drones began flying legally over America in January of this year without any civil liberties protections whatsoever. President Obama signed the bill into effect. Uh, drones will, be, will also be equipped with lasers, tasers, rubber bullets, and all the things that uh, people talked about in the future. So, And that's why I rely on in my book a lot of movies, futuristic movies, such as The Matrix, uh, Orwell's stuff. Uh, Huxley and others, and Bray Bradbury, because they really saw what, where the future was at and where it was, what was going to happen, and I think they predicted it quite accurately. Towards the end of your book, you quote uh, Edward R. Murrow uh, in a quote from 1958 in which you spoke of the American people having a built-in allergy to unpleasant or disturbing information. And I'm sure that that's true, but I'm just wondering whether that's really unique to the American people and whether that's really unique to the American people of the last 50, 60 years, it would seem to me that that's really an inherent part of the human experience is, you know, given a choice, not wanting to hear unpleasant or disturbing information. What is the difference now in terms of the general inclination to avoid unpleasant news in the situation today? Yeah, I think that, I think you raise a good question and I think you're accurate. It's basically human nature. I think that most of us would like to live pleasant lives, walk through fields of flowers and all that stuff. But the history of the world has not been like that. If you And again, I talk about Nazi Germany in the book, Nazi Germany, the old Soviet Union, some of the things we're seeing happening around the world today. Uh, that's never been the uh, 
history of the world. Uh, one thing I'm seeing is a good sign. There are a lot of people like are reading my material, my books, my essays, and they're 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 emailing me. They're sending me letters. In fact, some policemen actually have met with me, and they're saying we're really concerned about what's going on in this country. So I do think there are people who are waking up. I think the Occupy movement of a couple years ago was a good sign, and some of the other movements we've seen around the country, and uh, African Americans protesting over Eric Garner getting the chokehold of him in New York getting. Uh, killed and all those things. There, there is a, a bit of a, a, an awakening, and if it continues, I think it'll be a very good thing, because the thing we have to remember as Americans is that our whole system is based on the idea of dissent. That's why we have a First Amendment. Our First Amendment says we have a right to peacefully assemble and petition the government for redress of grievances, and the founding fathers such as uh, Jefferson and uh, James Madison and others understood that a picket sign was worth a lot of freedom. And that's why, and, and, and people that get out there and do that, uh, that's who we defend, and I think they're, they do great things. And I often say this, people that I've defended over the years and write about, I don't always agree with everything they have to say, but if they're out there on that street corner, and they appear to be a little weird, and some of them are, if they can get out there on that street corner and do it, then obviously I can't. The so-called normal people can do it. So I see some good signs, but I think you're right. It's part of human nature to want to be distracted. And I think the people who run the technology, uh, all the things you're seeing today understand that it's easy to distract people today. And uh, there are some good movements on the Internet and people speaking out. And uh, I just hope, and again, one of my fears is the government's going to begin censoring what people say on the Internet. In the book, you write that, and again, this is probably going to be a paraphrase, You know that voting is practically useless. And I guess one of the things that struck me is that uh, at least as I read the book, there isn't really a reference, and correct me if I'm wrong, to the Libertarian Party or suggesting that supporting that party or similar political parties would actually be a useful thing to do. Could you talk about that? It depends on when you're supporting. You know, Aldous Huxley, uh, and I quote him in the book, he, he basically said that a larger the electorate gets, or you get millions upon 350 million people and they're voting for two candidates for president, the votes get diluted. Uh, I think voting on the local level can be very important. So my, my my motto is, act locally, think nationally. And there are some people around the country, there are some uh, local bodies that are starting to talk back to the federal government, which I think is a good thing. It shows that uh, people are at least aware. Some states have actually passed laws against the National Defense Authorization Act, which allows President, President Obama or prior presidents to designate someone an extremist. And that, that you know, uh, that can be virtually anybody today, as I, I can explain, but the military can come and actually pick you up like they did Bradley Manning and put you in a solitary confinement in a military camp without seeing your lawyer. And some states are saying no to that, which is a good thing. Today, an extremist, by the way, uh, under President Obama, Jan- Janet Napolitano, when she was head of the Department of Homeland Security, issued two memos. One was right-wing extremism. And one was left-wing extremism. Right-wing extremists were people who just basically opposed government and those things, didn't like government. Under left-wing extremism, which was amazing, was animal rights groups and things like that. They were considered extremists. So under this act, the National Defense Authorization Act, if they don't like what you're doing, they can basically target you. And some states are starting to say no. So that's called the doctrine of nullification. It's been something that governments have practiced since time memorial in this country. I'm seeing that movement. That's a good thing because that's just basically saying we want freedom in our community. We don't want federal troops coming in and arresting people in our town. I think that's a good movement. So in New York City, where I live, 
the local elections, for example, for school boards, where people can have a direct say and be represented in what's going on in their schools, historically have, you know, infinitesimal turnout. And I wonder if that isn't a factor of people feeling so overwhelmed and depressed by the larger national or international or global issues that they feel like, you know, what's the point? And if that's the case, then what is what is the answer to get people more engaged as you'd like them to, to challenge the government, to, to challenge authority, and to speak up for liberty? In my book, I argued the case for Martin Luther King Jr., who was basically my hero. Uh, Martin Luther King started a movement in the South. At the beginning, there was no one. Martin Luther King just basically stood in the face and said, I'm marching down the street. I'm not putting up with this stuff. And I talk about his Birmingham March in 1963, and he said, I've had it. I'm not putting up with this. And he said, he had a bunch of kids walk down the street. They put attack dogs on them and stuff like that. The police were really nasty, but here's the key. I remember as a kid watching that, that it got on television, and all of a sudden I realized, whoa, there's a problem. These people look really mean down there to the, to the African-Americans. So if we take that role, all we need is a couple activists in any community to get active and to get out there and get people rallied. And I'm looking for those people across the country. Some are starting to rise up. But if you want to model, again, I have uh, several chapters that basically fo focus on Martin Luther King's activities. I mean, the man changed the face of the country in less than 10 years. An amazing human being. So... We have models, role models, so I'm telling people in this book, read this book, read about Martin Luther King. You can do what he did, you just have to get up and go do it. It's going to take getting off some electronic devices for a while. Get out in the streets, get on the street corner. There are groups out there, like Rutherford Institute and other civil liberties groups that will stand for you. Get active and you can change your community on the local level. I see, I see it happening today across the country and I think it can happen in the future. So we just have to get active and I'm looking for those activists like Martin Luther King who pick up their flags and move forward. And one of the things that Neil Postman spoke about was the blurring of the lines, and that may even be a conservative way of referring to it, of news and entertainment. So in terms of the news that people get, uh, whether they get it through newspapers, online or in print, or TV news, you know, online or on a different screen, certainly many people have, you know, commented on the relative lack of content and analysis in there. How do you see that changing so that the citizenry can be more informed, even if they're informed about, you know, sort of differing perspectives as opposed to, you know, the doctrine that you espouse that this is really a war on the American people? Well, in my opinion, you're not going to get much analytical news off of television. I don't see it. And I appear on those programs occasionally. Um, you're not going to get it there. I think the Internet has been great. On the Internet, you can still get great information. You have to surf the Internet. You have to find out certain sites. I mean, we have a good site. We, we post a thing on, at the Rutherford Institute called Freedom Watch several times a week, showing people all the articles and things that are going on across the country. So what I tell people is education precedes action. You can get educated, but where you're going to find it is in books and the Internet. And I tell people, you've got to read Huxley, you've got to read Postman, you've got to read Orwell, you've got to read Bradbury, you've got to see some of the movies that predicted all this stuff, such as, and Philip K. Dick, by the way, great author, his movie Blade Runner, all the things that he talked about in his books, they're there. Uh, the future is here, is what I'm telling people. It's here now. The people who wrote about it 50 years ago thought it was coming. They, they, I think some of them knew it was coming. It's here now. 
again, it's going to take, you know, getting educated, but you're not going to get it from watching television, in my opinion, no. Uh, and, and that's one reason I'm concerned about net neutrality and how the government is moving toward making the Internet more politically correct or whatever they're trying to do. So as long as it's free, folks, I'm saying, and it's free of uh, being uh, censored, get out there and read it, download the articles, by the way, print them out and keep them so they don't disappear. I guess sort of in closing, I'm wondering what you would tell our listeners is something that gives you hope for the future. Well, what gives me hope for the future is uh, some of the activities I see going on across the country. Local city governments that are saying no. Local city governments, by the way, they're saying we're not taking any more militarized equipment. Uh, local city governments are saying we're going to start giving oversight on our SWAT teams. You, you realize that in, in the early 1980s, there was only like 1,500 SWAT team raids annually. Now there are 80,000. Eighty percent of those SWAT team raids are for mere warrant service where a policeman showed up and knocked on your door. Now they're going through the door. People are getting shot, dogs, kids are getting killed. It's all documented in my book, by the way. Some cities are saying no to that. It's about time, folks. So some people are waking up. Uh, I don't think we're totally dead. Uh, I always hold out the, the concept of freedom. Freedom is not a political thing, by the way. We sort of talk a little bit. I, I'm not a Republican, Democrat. I'm not a Libertarian. I'm not any of those things. Uh, what I believe is, is that freedom is not a political issue. Freedom is what it is. It's a human issue. And if we want to be able to breathe fresh air, we want to be able to walk down the street without getting frisked, like uh, in most of your major cities today, there's a lot of stop and frisk, which are unconstitutional, by the way. Uh, if we're going to do all that, then we got to remember, watch out. Freedom's not a partisan issue. Stick to the one thing is, if you don't agree with somebody, but they're out there doing free speech activities, support them because you're supporting yourself. And here's what I think. Here's what I tell policemen. Every time you take away somebody's rights, Mr. Policeman, you're taking away your rights. You're a citizen, too. So it's time for us all to work together and maintain freedom in America. Thank you, John, for your time. That's it for today's LitCast. We've been talking with John Whitehead, author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People, published by Select Books, who sponsored today's podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and join us again soon for the next PW LitCast.